Come on. I just need somebody, one person that's going to track with me today. That's all I need. The rest of you can just hang on. Because I'm already set on go, but I just need that one person. Can I get a volunteer? I'm just kidding. There you go. Ha-ha. Hallelujah. Well, I attempted last week to share on this, and the Lord is so good, and he had other plans, which I'm so thankful for. I just tell him even now, if he he wants to shift gears at any point in the service, it's his. Amen. Hallelujah. You know, the more I look at Jesus, the more I see there wasn't anything formulated about him. Amen. You know, even the way he ministered to people as he walked on the streets, he would minister differently, you know. To one person he would speak, to the next he would touch. I'm reminded of, uh, you know, the man in the temple in Mark's gospel. He told, he spoke to him and said, stretch out your hand. The man had a withered hand. I think in his wisdom, there were several reasons that he did that. One, because he wasn't really, it was the beginning of his ministry. He wasn't really ready to just put to shame the Pharisees and run them all. (laughs) Because if he would have touched him and done an act they would have said he's working on the Sabbath. But what he was doing is releasing the power of words. So he just looked at the man and said, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched out his hand and he was healed. (laughs) Jesus didn't touch him. But there was another man who was a leper who came to Jesus. And he pretty much said this to Jesus. Jesus, if you want to, you can heal me. And so what this man was dealing with is He wasn't doubting the power of God because he said, if you want to, you can. What he was doubting is the willingness of God, which I'm sure hurt the heart of the Lord because he's not just able, he is willing. But you know what's so precious about that story? Jesus didn't just speak to the leper, which most good religious people would have done. Hear me out. Most people would have grabbed a man with a withered hand and said, stretch out, because he didn't have anything contagious. (laughs) But what did Jesus do? This thing is just sticking. What did Jesus do? He touched the leper, who probably hadn't been touched in years. Because when when you contracted leprosy, you were kicked out. You couldn't have communion. You couldn't touch anybody. So you had to be out. As a matter of fact, if anybody got near you, you had to declare, unclean, unclean, unclean. And if you didn't, you could be stoned to death right there. And what did Jesus do? He went to the man with leprosy and he touched him. He said, behold. (laughs) He showed his ability, his willingness, and his compassion. The man with the withered hand, it wouldn't have meant that much to him to be touched. He didn't need to be touched. He needed a touch. But for the man with leprosy, I'm sure that the touch meant as much as anything. Isn't that beautiful? The heart of our Savior. How beautiful he is when we look at him, not at religion, but at him. I have to share uh, this testimony. And uh, then we'll jump in. Who knows how far we'll get today? (laughs) This might be part A of B of C of D. (laughs) But uh, this past week we had our Go ministry. And uh, 
we met here, we meet here at 6.30 and we fill out what we call a treasure map. And it's uh, a paper that has five categories and five or six blanks with each category. I can't remember. And one will be like appearance, one will be location, one will be a name, one will be what's going on with them. And the other is the unusual. It could be anything. It could be SpongeBob SquarePants. Just whatever you feel like the Lord puts in your heart. And we just write it down. We take a few minutes. We don't fast and pray for 30 days. We just come in believing that God speaks to us. I want you to know he does. He speaks to you every day. And many times we just blow it off as chance or coincidence and stuff like that. So anyway, we came in and we we took a few moments and we filled out our treasure map. Because we believe that people are the treasure of the Lord. It's not things. Things rust and corrupt and thieves break in and steal. (laughs) But people are treasure. So we spend some time doing that. Then we pray together and then we go out. So this week, there was uh, six of us, and uh, Tish came for the beginning of it to, to fill out the treasure map and to pray with us, and then she had to go. So as we were leaving, she said, does anybody want mine? I said, yeah, I'll take it, because I know Tish hears. I think I do. I know she does. No, I'm just kidding. I know I do, too, but t- Tish hears really clear. Uh, some of her testimonies are amazing, where she's just, the Lord told her to step out. And uh, she did. One, just a little short one. I'm not going to go into detail because I'll butcher it. And Tish is very meticulous about not messing with the details. We don't need to embellish it. We don't need to try to make God look good. Just tell what happened. So Tish was at Starbucks, and she felt like she had a word for a guy in the T-Mobile. And uh, she ride around and then rode back around because she was trying to decide if she's going to be obedient or not. <laughs> and she went in, and basically the Lord had had spoken to her heart that he was either a pastor or felt a call to ministry. Just the guy she saw when she left Starbucks. Come on. And said, all right, I'm going to be obedient. Went in, and as a matter of fact, it freaked the guy out a little bit because he was. And she just had a word of encouragement to him. But she was just obedient. So that's why I say I know Tish years. That's just one of many. But we were, uh, we were here. She gave me her list, and we went out. And the, the place that we felt like we needed to be was in Gibsonville. I have such a heart for Gibsonville, and that just continues to grow and grow and grow, and I'm so thankful for that. We go other places. We'll go to the mall. We'll go to university and stuff like that. But I could go to Gibsonville every week. And it's not the same amount of people, but, man, God shows up. So we go, and uh, I'm not one that just sits around and goes, well, maybe we should go over there. Maybe we should go over there. I'm more like, hey, that's possibly an opportunity. Let's just go. So I go, and there's a group of people. Uh, I had, one of the things on my list was bench. Hey, there's benches in Gibsonville. I had ice cream. I had something else. So there was, there was people sitting on the bench, and they had ice cream. I'm like, I'm going for it. I got nothing to lose. So we go up, and we talk to them, and they pretty much didn't have a whole lot to do with us. They, I said, can we just pray for you? And they let us pray for them. So we prayed for them, walked across the street, talked to a couple of other people. that We had a few clues on our treasure map, and they, the guy had been sick with the flu for three days. And it was Jackie and I and Dad were in our group. And the other group was Mark and Vicky and Ellen. Uh, Mark and Vicky Sharp and Ellen. And so they went down the street, and we walked up, and we went around Reno's. And uh, Jackie, you got to understand Jackie. Jackie waved at everybody. Just stick your hand up. I know you don't like that. That's Jackie. Jackie's my rogue agent. I have to I had to keep a rope on Jackie because you just blink and Jackie's gone after somebody because she's just passionate about the kingdom. 
being released in this day among the people that we see every day. And she's passionate about going for those that everybody else just overlooks. Jackie's the type, when you walk down a road and there's a group of people on the other side of the road, everybody else goes, don't look, and maybe they won't look at us. Jackie's the one, she's over there. <laughs> That's where she's going. So we were walking, and I said, you want to walk over behind Reno's back that way? So we, if you know Gibsonville at all, we turned off of Main Street, and we went back toward the ABC store, toward Pete's Grill, and to the next stoplight, took a left, and we made a block. We didn't see anybody. But we had a good time of fellowship, just encouraging one another, and we walk around. And then as we get almost back up, we're right behind the jewelry store there, and we're almost back up on Main Street, and a couple comes out from behind the jewelry store. And uh, one of the things on Jackie's list, and I think on Ellen's list as well, was like goth clothing, black clothing. You with me? So this young man and this woman come out from behind. They're probably in their 20s. And he's got... uh, he had piercings here and here, and I think one in his nose. I don't remember where all they were. He had a red shirt on it, a, a black shirt on with a red skull, and under the red skull was the letter zero. I mean, spelled out Z-E-R-O, zero. And he had a hat on that I won't tell you what was on it. It's a little vulgar. A black hat. It wasn't vulgar, but it was just led you to believe that. It was a black hat. And uh, Jack said, hey, come here. <laughs> she called him over, and we start talking to him. And I ask, I tell him my name, and I ask his name. And he says, my name is Steve. And I said, well, that's cool. Your name is on our list. It was on Tish's list. Now, here's what's so cool. I took Tish's list. Mark and Vicky and Ellen didn't. On Mark and on their list, both, two people in their group had Steve on their list. But the list I took was Tish's, and it was the only one that had his name on it. Coincidence? I don't think so. So I go, man, your name's on my list. He took his hat off, put it on the ground. He said, man, that's amazing. He said, I got goosebumps all up and down my arm. I said, they ain't goosebumps. They're ghost bumps. That's the Holy Ghost. <laughs> so we start ministering to him. I, wanted, I tried to write it down and, uh, because I didn't want to mess it up too much. <laughs> um, so I'll just tell you. We just ministered to him for a few minutes, and we began to just speak over him prophetically what the Lord was saying to us. It was myself and Jackie, and just speaking over. And he just, he was amazed. He said, you don't understand. This is things that her and I were talking about last night. He said, these are things, and one thing, he said, this is exact, that's exactly how I said it to her last night. And I'm just like, God, you're just amazing like that. So we minister to this young man. He says, you know what? He said, I was in Bible college for two years. And he said, I got my eyes off God and got it on man. And uh, he said, and then from there, I went into some, some stuff. He didn't say anything. And the Lord just had me tell him, say, look, I just want you to understand. The Lord says that your, your past does not dictate your future. He put his head down. And he said, I just told her that last night. And then I said, I don't know anything about you. You know, you could say, well, it was easy if you look at him. No, it wasn't. It wasn't a flesh-derived thing. I just said, I feel like, after we'd pray for myself, I feel like the Lord's saying that addiction is broken off of you like a yoke that's broken from your neck. And he just looked at her, and her eyes got big, and her mouth fell open. And uh, I looked at her, and I said, and you? I said, you're not on the outside looking in. I said, 
Because she stood back. When we surrounded him and started praying for him, she just stood back and leaned up against the light pole and watched. And I said, the Lord wants you to know how much he loves you. And just spoke to her for a few minutes. And she said, well, I'm not a believer. And she said, a lot of the stuff that y'all were just talking about, we talked about last night. So the Lord just loved on her a little bit. And we prayed over them. And this guy was like, you don't understand. Said we were, he had a Verizon bag in his bag. This is what's so awesome. He said, we, someone took us to Verizon at university. Y'all know where that is? Texas Roadhouse. Olive Garden, all that. They said they took us there and they left us. While we were in the store, they left us. So we finished and we've walked here. We walked here from Verizon. And they just happened to be coming out of the alley when we came up. And they had been walking from there. That's our God. That's divine appointments that he is looking for us to make. Not make happen, but just be willing and be obedient to be there. Because when he said that, I just, that we had his name, that, that he was encouraged, that the Lord read his mail, and for him to say, man, we've been walking for, he said 15 miles. I don't know how many miles. Probably felt like 115 miles. But he said, when we left, we've been walking. We haven't stopped, and we, we came here, and we run into y'all. And they live in Gibsonville. I'm just saying. That's who he is, and that's how he desires to manifest himself through us. But if we constantly think that we're not worthy, if we constantly think, I can't do that, then all our attention is on us and not on him. I think that's one of the biggest distractions of the enemy is to get us consumed with us so we don't see Jesus. Because the Bible says as we behold him, we're transformed into his image from glory to glory. The more we see him, the more we see us in him and we see his power released through us. We're not consumed or caught up and our attention is not on us. We're not distracted by who we are, but we're consumed with who he is. Amen. You know, that's what was going on in the passage I shared last week. In uh, Matthew 17... It says this, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. You know... We, we throw a lot of stones at Peter. The deal is this. Peter's just willing to say what most everybody thinks. You ever met anybody like that? I went on a trip to Israel in January, and there was a guy, a pastor from Florida, and he was that way. This man was a nut with a capital N. He would say what other people were thinking, and sometimes it just didn't make sense that he said it. But he knew it. He, he, he said, I'm just saying what you're thinking. And it was true. And Peter, that's what he did. He just said what I know James and John was thinking the same thing. You know, Lord, it's good that we be here. You know, I look back on that and I look at last week's service. It was good that I was here. I'm just saying, the presence of the Lord was so thick, Melanie laughed at me. And it's been a little embarrassing as I've thought back over some of the things that I said and how it, how it all played out. But you know what? I don't care. 
But you know what? I don't want to live from that experience. I want to grow from it. I want to live from his presence. I don't want to just go, God, what if you showed up like that again this Sunday? And he said, I did. (laughs) I did. You just got to be looking. Peter said, it's good that we're here. I want you to know, it's good that you're here today. But our destiny is not just to be here. Are you with me? Our destiny is not just to come and sit and be fed and then go out fat and happy with no change. Deal with me? I got him. I'm good. I'm going on. Our destiny is to come in. Even as the word that Josh brought, uh, Jeremiah, he said, before I formed you in your mother's belly, I knew you. And I've established you, he's talking to Jeremiah, as a prophet to the nations. Yours may be a prophet in the home where you, where you declare over your kids the goodness and the glory of God. It could be the prophet at your workplace. It doesn't mean that you have to... I'm not even going to go there into the Old Testament types and shadows because we're into the New Covenant. It may not be that you have to stand up in every coffee break in the, in the work and say, Thus saith the Lord God Almighty... It might be that you're just willing to open your mouth when he highlights somebody. Amen? Here's what I can promise you. You'll miss it every time if you don't ever open your mouth. Your odds go up astronomically of being used by God when you step out. I love it. Bethel Church in Reading, they said, you spell faith this way, R-I-S-K. Being willing to step out beyond. You know, I've said that before. I'll just keep going. He said, it's good that we be here. If you wish, I will make three tents here. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking. So that's not all he said. (laughs) Are you with me? That's all we know he said. It's good that we're here. I will build three temples if you want me to. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, Jesus said, he shut him down. And here's what Jesus, while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. You know what's so cool about the Lord? He didn't tell Peter to shut up. Sometimes that's what we would like to do. When somebody's talking and they need to be quiet, you know what we really want to do sometimes? Just tell them to shut up. The Lord didn't say that to Peter. He just, he, what he didn't do, he didn't address where Peter was wrong. He just declared what is right. And here's what he said. This is my beloved son. Father God speaking from the cloud. I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them saying, rise and have no fear. And they lifted up their eyes and they saw no one but Jesus only. So the title of my message is see Jesus only. This is probably part A. 
our introduction extended. It saw Jesus only. There's just a few things I want to pick, pick out of here. Peter said, I will make. So what Peter was doing, one, he was thinking about, one, his willingness, which was good, but his ability, because it's what he was going to do. Also, he, Peter was still under the influence of a religious mindset because what he did is he put Moses and Elijah on the same level as Jesus. This is so cool. I heard Joseph Prince preach this, and, and I've used it several times since then. But it says that Peter, James, and John went up. Peter's name means rock. James' name means supplanter or uh, to switch. And John's name means grace. Peter, James, and John went up. The rock was, was switched with grace. That's pretty good right there. But here's what they were looking at. He said, I'll build three temples. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. What, is, um, what do they represent? The law, Moses, the law, Elijah, the prophets. Listen to this. Luke 16, 16 says this. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pre- pressing into it. The law and the prophets were until John. What does John's name mean? Grace. The law and the prophets were until grace. Who is grace? John 1 says, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Do you see it? It's so beautiful, this tapestry that he's woven for us. All we have to do is behold the beauty of it and allow the power of that beauty to flow through our lives. He said, the the law and the prophets were until John. They were until grace, but once grace came, Everything changed. That's what happened right here. He said, this is my beloved son. Hear him. What was going on? The cloud came. Is that unfamiliar? No, it's amazing to me. When you study the scripture, the first time cloud is mentioned, it talks about the presence of the Lord coming. And the first time the word cloud is mentioned in the Bible is when God says, I will no longer, I will never again, hear me, I will set a covenant and a sign in in the sky for you to see in the cloud there will be a rainbow, and I'll never destroy the earth by water again. So the first time cloud is mentioned, it comes with covenant. Throughout the Bible, you see the cloud. When they came out of uh, Egypt, they were led by a cloud. They were led by the cloud in the wilderness. It says it was a pillar of fire, a cloud of fire by night, and a cloud by day. Why is that so cool? Well, one, if it was a cloud at night, it would be hard to see, but the, the second thing is, in the desert, it's cold at night. And he led them by a a cloud of fire. It would keep them warm. And during the day, it's hot. So he covered them with a cloud. Come on. That's who he is. It covered the tabernacle. After he gave the, the plans to build a tabernacle, they built the tabernacle, and it said the cloud of God would come over the tabernacle when they would go in and they would meet. It signified the presence of God. So when Peter, James, and John saw the cloud coming, they weren't thinking, I wonder what this is. It wasn't something unfamiliar to them. Are you with me? 
It wasn't something unfamiliar. And it was from the cloud. When Moses went up on the mountain, he received the law. It was from the cloud that God spoke to Moses. And it was from the cloud that he spoke to the elders in Israel. So they had heard God speak from a cloud before. But this time, something different happened. This time, God said, this is my beloved son. That's the declaration that was made when John the Baptist, where we saw in John chapter 1 in Mark's gospel, it says that when Jesus was baptized, it said the voice came out of heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Before Jesus ever performed a miracle, God said, this is my son. I'm pleased with him. Here he is on the mountain. He said, this is my son. Hear him. And what was, so, so God established a precedence to listen to Jesus, right? With Peter, James, and John, right here, inside of the context of this story, he said, here, my son. Now, what happened? When they saw the cloud, they were very scared. They were terrified, it says. Why? Well, if you study history, when that cloud showed up on the mountain, he said, tell them not to come near, because they said, we can do this, God. You just tell us what to do, and we'll do everything you say to do. He said, really? All right. Tell them don't come near. Don't touch the mountain. Don't even come near it because if they do, they'll die. So if you're up on the mountain and you're with you, it's, it's four of you that go up and then you open your eyes and there's two more with you now. And there are Moses and Elijah. People have been dead for years. Right? And you say, hey, let's build all of you a place to stay and we'll just hang out on the hill. And the cloud comes up. You know what? You're thinking it's over now. It's about to be crispies. It's all over with but the crying. Because there's the cloud. And God spoke and he said, this is my son. Listen to him. Now, so, I think, and if you want to be right, you'll think with me. The next thing that Jesus would say would be very important. Because God just established a precedence to listen to his son. And what did Jesus say? Rise and have no fear. (laughs) Where were they? They were in his presence. He said, rise and have no fear. Rise, why? Because they had humbled themselves. They had prostrated. They were scared and they were on their face. And Jesus said, I want you to know you can stand and look at me. And I want you to know that you don't need to have fear. Because I am your payment. I took away the fear and the punishment of sin. Isn't that what we saw when we were looking at the communion? The fear and the punishment of sin. So Jesus is saying the same thing to us today. If we will just hear him. You know, it says that he was a friend of publicans and sinners. That's who he hung out with. Now, I want to get to this, and I'll close. Um, Hebrews chapter 4, I want to lay a foundation for Hebrews 12. Hebrews 4 says this, Seeing then we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Look at verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When do you need mercy? When you've been perfect? When do you need mercy? 
when you've missed it? And how do we come? Did he say, when you need mercy, back in and pray God doesn't strike you dead? Is that what he said? No, he said, come boldly. Why? Am I making light of sin? No, I'm making much of Jesus. The reason we can come boldly is not because God went light on sin. It's because God poured the wrath of sin out on Jesus. And he bore it for us. So for us to say, I can't come to God because I'm not right. I did this wrong. What you do is you make light of Jesus and much of sin. So literally what we do is we say, my mistake is greater than Jesus' blood. Now, we would never say that, but that's what we say. That's why I said, Peter, he just said what people thought. Hebrews 12. You know, because here's what I want to leave you with today. What's distracting you from Jesus? What thing is it? You know, it could be a trial. It could be a person. It could be blessing. It could be, I, I, I don't know. I don't like naming stuff like that because sure as I miss one that you've really been dealing with, you go, he didn't say it, so I'm straight. And I'm not talking about naming sin. I'm talking about anything that distracts. And that was what, as I said, the, the, my email was about this last week. Uh, about focus, and it's been a lot there here lately because that's what the Lord's really been speaking to my heart. But Hebrews 12, I want to I want to pull out a couple things and I'll close. Because as I was studying this, I saw it in a way I'd never seen it before, and it was pretty cool. Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And I say this, what's distracting us from Jesus? What's distracting us from seeing who he is so we know who we are so we can do what he's called us to do? Because Jesus didn't allow the circumstances of the situation to get him distracted. It says in verse 2 that uh, Jesus... For the joy that was set before him, that literally means the joy that was in sight in front of him. Who is that? That's us. That's the joy that was set before Jesus. So what is that saying? Jesus did not get distracted by what was going on, by the beats upon, the blows upon his back, the stripes on his back, the, thro- the thorns on his head. He didn't get distracted by the, the lying accusations that were that were uh, aimed at him. He didn't get distracted. Why? Because he had someone in sight. It was me. I believe he would have done it just for me. He had me in sight. He had you in sight. And it was a joy to know that we wouldn't have to be separated from him and the Father any longer because what he was doing. So he was able to endure by watching what was important, by seeing who was important? That was the prize. That's you and that's me. But listen to this. Verse 1 says this. It says that they, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And I saw that this, this week as I was studying different than I ever had. Here's the way we've always pictured this. Well, let me just clear. Here's the way I've always pictured that verse. Okay? There's a great cloud. What, what is it? Cloud. Just, do, I mean, just bless yourself and go home and just study cloud. 
Just do a, get your concordance and just do a search on cloud. Jesus is coming back on a cloud. He was taken up in a cloud. There's a lot of stuff that goes on in a cloud. <laughs> I'll leave that alone. But it says that we're surrounded with so great a cloud of witnesses. Verse 1. Therefore, also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us, that we might run with endurance the race that's before us. Now, in uh, my early church years, I was, it was taught this way to me. You better live right because they're watching it's not just Jesus, but everybody who's gone on before, they're looking over heaven and they see what you're doing. They're watching you. Y'all never heard it preached that way, right? And then I've heard it preached on the other side that, man, you, need, you should do all that you can do because heaven's watching. There's witnesses. They see what's going on. Both of it is trying to pressure you to do something you really don't want you want to feel like you want to do. But here's what I want you to the way I saw it, and I believe the way it is in context, it says this. Wherefore, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. They're not waiting to see if you make it to the end. They're not waiting to see if you mess up again. What they're doing is saying, they stand in heaven and declare all things are possible to those who believe. Who's the cloud of witnesses he's talking about? Go back and read Hebrews 11. It's talking about Rahab the harlot. She stands in heaven, and she's saying, if I can do it, you can do it. What are the witnesses? What are they witnessing to? They're not watching you. They're declaring who he is and what he can do in you if you'll set your eyes on him. Come on, that's good stuff right there. That's what the witnesses are doing. They are proclaiming from heaven as a witness. They're not watching something. They're proclaiming something. You know, when you're in the good old Baptist church I was brought in, you went out, you went witnessing what you did. Witnessing you went out, you didn't go watch people. But that's the way we've taken Hebrews 12. One, they're watching us. There's a big cloud of people watching us to see what we're going to do. Now, I believe there's some value in that aspect. I heard uh, Bill Johnson last week teaching. He talked about the runner in a relay race. They normally put, the, if it's a four-man relay, the fastest man is at the end. And he said this, it doesn't matter how well the first three ran, it's the last guy that determines whether they get their prize or not. So I do say, that there are many who paid the price with their life after Jesus, who, who stood for the truth of the gospel that cost them their life. Even to this day, they're still standing. And if we set our eyes on him, I, a very dear friend of mine, Pastor Bruce Ritter, pastor's Christian Life Assembly, just a few weeks ago, he had a missionary from Africa come. And he spoke. Pray for John Kellogg today. He's in Hickory speaking for KLN. But... Uh, he had a missionary come, and he said, I, I want to show you this. And from a village nearby him, he had a video that the terrorists brought him of a pastor that they beheaded while they videoed it. Because he, they were Muslim extremists, and he wouldn't renounce Christ. And he said, you know, this isn't a fear thing. He didn't show it to his church. This wasn't a Hollywood makeup. This is what happened pastor lost his head for the gospel and i think man we won't even say anything to anybody in the restaurant because we scared somebody i think we're a nut but you know what that pastor he didn't lose his life he gained heaven 
you know where his eyes were set? They weren't set on, man, I hope every day. They weren't set on how big his house was, how much he had in the bank or anything like that. Are those things bad? Absolutely not. The Bible says the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the saint. But it's, the purpose of it is for the kingdom purpose so that we can say, God, it's yours, not mine. I thank you that you trust me to be a steward. And that doesn't mean that you have to be a steward over millions. It could be over what, you, what small amount that you're getting right now, but you're believing God for more. The whole thing is this, God, you are my prize. You are my goal. It's so easy to get comfortable. And, and my thing is, again, I, I know I, I am not the warm and fuzzy preacher that wants to pat you on the hiney and tell you everything is good and you're just beautiful and just keep up what you're doing i love you and i i believe that you're beautiful and i believe god has an amazing plan for your life but many times we have to readjust our focus and see that he's the only one worthy of our heart and our attention and when we set our eyes on him he'll do more through us than we can ever think possible you do not have to throw away your dreams to serve god But if you'll submit them to him, he'll make them more pretty, more beautiful than you could have ever dreamed. And he loves us so much that this isn't the end. This is just the beginning. And he's given us the opportunity to set our gaze on him. He's worthy. He is worthy. And as we set our gaze on him, as we realize, it says, looking unto Jesus. That word looking there is the same word. I said it out two weeks ago, or the, two emails ago when I talked about focus. I said, I know I'm focusing a lot on focus. <laughs> Get it? I was talking about looking. And it's the same, excuse me, the same word that was used. It means to set your gaze upon with longing and intention. Looking unto Jesus with longing and attention. Not a general glance every once in a while, but that he is the center of who I am. And that my life is not about carrying my Bible under my arm. My life is about allowing my Bible to live through me. And touch people around me. And when I have that gaze, just as Jesus, he, for the joy that was set before him, in sight in front of him, he endured everything that was going on. Why? He became poor that we might be rich. Why? So that the world can know. Amen? Let's stand. I, my, again, my challenge today is this. Is that our heart and our attention, our focus would be on Him. That we would evaluate our lives. You know, not because